This morning's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verses 17 to 26. Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal regions around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how the, their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi, everyone. So my sister and I are moving apartments this July, and we're in the process right now of going through what we have. Now, because, because the place that we're moving to is actually a bit smaller and with less storage, we're having to sell some of our furniture and the things that we've collected over the years. So I've been spending quite a bit of time on Facebook Marketplace recently trying to sell these things. Now, I'm finding it really hard to know how much to charge for each thing I'm selling. How do I know what it's worth? Should I sell it for less so that it goes quickly? How much do I know how, what people are willing to pay? I think that in a way, just as beauty is in the eye of the beholder, the value of something often is too. The greater the need or the desire someone has for the thing I'm selling, and maybe the harder it is to come by, the more someone might be willing to pay. I think also we sometimes need to cultivate the ability to see the value of something. Um, you may have seen in the news recently, there was this article about a painting by David Bowie that was sold by someone for $5 not knowing what it was. And now it's likely going to resell for about 12000 The value of some things are only really understood by those who know what they're looking at, who have the eyes to see it. In our passage today in Luke 6, known as the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus is inviting his followers to see things differently to see their world as God sees it, and to place value on the things that he values. And out of this new vision, both of the present and the future, they're to live differently. In our text, in this first part of the sermon, we see that God sees differently than we do, and his followers are to see the world through his eyes, to have the same perspective. Now, commentators have compared this passage in Luke 6 to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, 
and many suggest that the Matthew passage is simply an expanded version of this sermon in Luke. But I would also imagine that Jesus would have preached similar sermons to different crowds during his time in ministry, in a time when sermons weren't recorded and posted online for anyone to watch repetition would have been a useful tool to get the message out to a wider audience. So I think that this may be a different sermon, preached at a different time, but with similar themes. And certainly here in Luke, we see a greater emphasis on economic poverty and the contrast with the rich than we do in the Matthew text. So let's take a look at this passage together and at what God might be saying to us today. So leading up to this passage, Jesus is praying on a mountainside and then he names 12 apostles from those who are following him. Then together they come down the mountain and he stands on this level place on a plain. And he begins to teach a large group of people who had come from all over to hear him speak, but also for healing and to be freed from evil spirits. His message here in verses 17 to 26 that we'll look at today is that God sees differently than us. And his followers are to have this same perspective, to see the world through his eyes. Our text today contrasts two different kinds of people, two different ways of living, and invites us to do two different perspectives. We're invited to have first, a new perspective on the poor, and then second, a new perspective on the rich. So first, a new perspective on the poor. Verses 17 to 23. So he, Jesus, went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and people all tried to touch him, because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets." So to start off, I think it would be helpful for us to understand exactly who Jesus is talking about here. Who does he mean by the poor? Is it those who don't have enough to live off or more like the poor in spirit in Matthew? To answer this, I'd like to take a look at the context at the of the time, how the poor are seen in scripture, and then what we see in our passage today. Now, it's important to remember that the Jewish people at Jesus' time were a conquered people, living under Roman rule. Most of them would have been considered economically poor. But also, in the eyes of the Jewish people of that day, piety and poverty were linked. There was a connection here in some way. In the NIV Bible background commentary, they capture it in this way. The poor had become a designation for the pious in some Jewish circles because they were the oppressed who trusted solely in God. Like most people in the ancient Mediterranean world, most Jewish people were poor. So as we imagine this crowd together today, we could picture that many of them might be considered to be in the category of the poor, those who struggle to make ends meet. They were the ones listening to this sermon. What about how the poor are seen in scripture? 
in the Old Testament, it seems like it can have a bit of both meanings as well. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands up in the synagogue, unrolls a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now this is taken from Isaiah 40 verses 3 to 5. And the Hebrew word found in Isaiah can be translated meek, meaning the humble and pious who seek God, or it can mean those who are economically poor. And most places in Isaiah, it actually does have this sense of the pious. In the Old Testament as a whole, we see that God is a God who is a great concern for those who are in need. In texts like Psalm 140 verse 12, we read, I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. This has always been God's heart. So in scripture, as well as in common usage of the time, the word poor often implies a bit of both. It's those who lack the resources they need to live, but also those who seek God. So coming back to our Luke 6 text, we see in verse 20 that Jesus is speaking to you who are poor. He's addressing those who have come to seek him out. And in verses 21 to 22, he describes for us a bit more about who he is talking about here. The poor are also those who hunger and those who weep. And it also includes those who have become poor for the sake of the gospel, who are hated and excluded and insulted because of their allegiance to the Son of Man, meaning Jesus. So it seems here that Jesus is speaking of the poor primarily in the sense of the economically poor, as would be reflected in most of the crowd at that time. But specifically, it's the poor who are seeking God. They are the ones who are blessed. Now, the question asked now is why are the poor to be considered blessed? Why are they happy or fortunate or to be envied? These things don't seem to go together. There's nothing good about not having enough to live off. In verse 20, we see that it isn't because of what they don't have, but because of what they do possess, God's kingdom. But why does Jesus link being in need to possessing God's kingdom? I think there are a few reasons here for what Jesus is saying. For one, having less may allow a person to be more open to the kingdom in the first place. Now, being poor and seeking God don't necessarily go together. We can't make a blanket statement about this. But those who have less may be less attached to their current circumstances and so be able to live in light of future hope. Along with this, giving up wealth may be a mark of discipleship. A willingness to become poor for the sake of God's kingdom can show that a person has really understood the value of this. And we see this in the Gospels, in the account of the rich young ruler in Luke 18, as well as in the story of Zacchaeus, giving up some or all of their wealth was a sign of their discipleship, that they know that it's worth it. And also I think um, there's a link here because it shows God's heart for the poor. God seems to have a special concern for those who are suffering and in need. They aren't hidden from his sight, but they may even be a special focus of his attention. We see this again and again in scripture, with the Old Testament prophets rebuking Israel for not caring for those in need, and in places like Matthew 25, where Jesus says that those who serve the poor are actually serving him, he identifies that closely with them. So I think that Jesus is using this surprising turn of phrase here, saying that those who are poor are actually fortunate, 
or happy or to be envied because God has offered to them all the fullness of his kingdom and they've been able to recognize its value and receive it. And somehow the value of possessing God's kingdom outweighs everything else. But what is it that the poor gain in God's kingdom? Um, why is it of such great value? We aren't given a full answer here, but there are some hints of this in the text. Part of this is in a future hope. In verse 23, Jesus says, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. Um, when I was growing up, I remember being fascinated by what this reward or treasure in heaven might be. I pictured a treasure chest full of gold coins sitting up in heaven for me. The Greek word here used for reward means wages, payment for work, or fruit that's produced. So it's something that we're investing our lives towards, something we're building. And although we aren't told exactly what it is, we are told where it is. It's in heaven, in God's sphere, which implies that it's both secure and it's lasting. Those who seek God can know that they found the one thing of true and lasting value, and this will be revealed to everyone one day. They have cause to hope in what God will do. But the benefit of receiving God's kingdom is not only about future reward, but it's also about what receiving it now. In Luke chapter 18, verses 29 to 30, Jesus says, speaking to his disciples who have left everything to follow him, truly I tell you, Jesus says to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. So I think Jesus is talking here about the family they're joining, the brothers and sisters they gain when they come into God's kingdom, the new community, community they receive in the church, some of this goodness promised to the poor is meant to come through us. And in the book of Acts, we see this happening. We see how the church cares for those in need. Um, after the Holy Spirit comes on the believers, they sell what they have to give to those in need. In Acts 4, verses 33 to 34, we read, And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. A mark of the Holy Spirit's presence and work in a community is care for the poor. In the Africa Bible Commentary, um, the author describes this section of Luke as a policy statement for God's kingdom. And they point out that the responsibility lies with us to live it out. When Jesus says the poor are blessed, he is stating a principle we are responsible for formulating concrete ethics and principles and policies that will ensure blessedness for the poor today. I think what stood out to me the most as we've been studying Ephesians together as a church over the past weeks, that we as a church are Christ's body. We are part of the way that he works in our world today. And if God cares so much for those who are in need, if his heart is with the poor as we see here in scripture, then this must be a priority that we have as well. So Jesus says, happy are you who are poor, who are hungry or in mourning now. Yours is the kingdom of God. God sees differently than us. 
and we are to have this same perspective. We are to see the world through his eyes. But now, what about the rich? Does this mean that God's kingdom isn't for them? So second, a new perspective on the rich, verses 24 to 26. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Now, like in the first part of this passage, verses 25 to 26 here, elaborate on what it means to be rich. It's those who are well-fed, who laugh, who are well-spoken of and popular. Four, we receive here that they've received their comfort. Received has a sense of being paid in full. The rich in this passage have already reaped the reward of what they've been working for, so there isn't anything else left for them. Now, who might the rich be at this time that Jesus is speaking? Certainly some Romans might be considered rich. They collected taxes and benefited from being the ruling nation. The Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders, might also fall into this category. They're described elsewhere in Luke both as lovers of money and honor, and also as those who took advantage of the poor. But Jesus seems to also be talking generally about those who have put a pursuit of wealth as too great a priority in their lives at the expense of others. They're actually to be pitied. Woe is an expression of lament. They've missed out on the only thing that really matters because they've been too caught up in what they have now. Now, the problem here seems not to be with wealth itself, but the attitude towards it and how it's used. The topic of wealth or the rich comes up quite a bit in Luke's gospel. So looking at other parts of Luke can help us to understand what Jesus is saying here and, and why this is even a problem. So in Luke 12, for example, a man comes to Jesus and tells him to make his brother to divide the inheritance with him. And Jesus replies, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he goes on to tell a parable warning against storing up things for ourselves, but not being rich towards God. In chapter 12, verse 33, he tells his disciples, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in the heaven that will not fail. Wealth is meant to benefit others. And somehow investing in people is also investing in eternity. In Luke 16, in the parable of the shrewd manager, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here he seems to be rebuking the Pharisees who believed that they were serving God, but were described in verse 14 as also being lovers of money. And then again in Luke 18, when the rich young ruler asked Jesus what he must do to inherit God's kingdom, he's told, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Somehow here his attachment to wealth and then his willingness to give it up was a test of discipleship. So we see in these instances that the problem is in our attitude towards wealth and how we use it. Money is meant to be a tool to serve others. It's not something to be served in itself. 
I find, I think from my own experience, I think this can be true even if we're not wealthy. Um, for most of my career, I fundraised for my salary and I developed a fear at times of not having enough, of running out of money in any given month, which meant that sometimes I wasn't as generous with what I had as I could have been. Sometimes, sometimes I let a fear of not having enough dictate how I served others. How might we learn to trust God more fully with what we have? If God calls us to be generous with others, then of course we can trust him with our daily needs as well. Another problem is that the pursuit of wealth causes harm to other people. This is the main problem with the rich as described in the book of James. They're the ones who exploit the poor. A life lived in the service of money is destructive both to ourselves and to others. It's like playing with fire. It can start small, but will set a whole forest ablaze given the right circumstances. It can be risky to be rich. And implied in this passage is that those who see themselves as followers of God can also fall into this category. So Jesus warns the rich not to find their comfort in what they have because people are always more important than possessions and God's kingdom is of too great a value to be missed. So condolences to you if you find that you're rich, well-fed and popular. You have reason to lament because you may miss what's most important. God sees differently than us and he invites us to have the same perspective, to see the world through his eyes. So then what are we to do with all of this? How does this passage speak to us today? I see a few applications for us. For one, God's kingdom is still the thing of greatest value. If we have the eyes to see it, it's worth pursuing. We don't want to miss this. Living here in Vancouver, I would say that, that most of us are fairly well off. We may be considered more rich than poor. I wonder if our lifestyle in Vancouver may in any way be, any way be a barrier to our discipleship. Are there things in our lives that pull us away from wanting to know God more or from seeking his kingdom? I think it's like being out at a dinner with friends when everyone has their cell phones out. You can't build a meaningful relationship with those at the table if you're looking at your phone the whole time. In the same way, if our greatest priority in life is financial security or gaining status and popularity, we'll miss out on the reality of God's kingdom and his work in our world. And we'll also miss out on relationships with those who are at the table with us, our brothers and sisters in Christ of all walks of life. They are part of the goodness we receive when we join God's kingdom. The distractions of wealth and comfort may also be why Vancouver is such a hard city to reach with the gospel. If life is comfortable right now, why would we need God? It's when people go through difficult circumstances that they start looking for him. So I think one application for us who are well off and comfortable is to take stock of our lives. I think it's often when things get hard that we stop to wonder what went wrong. But instead, maybe it should be when we find ourselves wealthy, well-fed, and popular. That's the time we need to check in with ourselves to see if anything has gone wrong, if we're starting to place too much value on these things. 
a second application for us today is that a life pursued and a life lived in pursuit of wealth is as dangerous today as it was in the first century world. I was thinking about how this passage might speak to some of the injustices we see in our country and our world. And I think there are some clear links here. If we look back at history, for example, many of the great evils in our world were done out of a desire for wealth, to gain power, land, and resources in service of mammon, as Jesus calls it. A motivation for the taking of lands and colonization, for example, was so that some might gain wealth and power. The selling of human beings in slavery was also for financial gain, devaluing people in the service of wealth. When money becomes our master, people suffer. So woe to you who are rich, Jesus says, an invitation to lament. It's no wonder he talks so much about the danger of a life lived in service of wealth it can have unspeakable consequences. In God's kingdom, people are always more important than possessions. I wonder in what ways a love of money and a desire to hold on to it might still play a role in the inequalities we see in our country and our world today. What might we as a church do about this? And third and finally, God is still on the side of the poor and the marginalized today, and we must have the same priority. I think Paul in Romans 12 verses 13 to 16 captures this well. He writes, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. What might it look like for us to live this way? How might we truly mourn with our Indigenous brothers and sisters in wake of the discovery of unmarked graves at residential schools? What might it look like to show hospitality to those in our church with no family nearby or to international students who are far from home? How can we use our resources to help those in need, knowing that God has a particular concern for them? Um, one small way I've been thinking about living this out more is simply to get into the habit of asking God each day how he might want me to be generous. How can I use what I have to serve others today? I think it starts with a shift in how we see things. So overall then, Jesus tells us in Luke that God sees differently than us. And as his followers, we're to have this same perspective. And it means that we may need to even cultivate the ability to see things differently, to be able to recognize that a $5 painting is actually worth $12,000. We can ask God to help us to grasp the worth of his kingdom, to see the value of each person that we encounter, and to learn to seek the good of others alongside our own. We are to behold the things the way that God does and then to allow this to shape the way that we live. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that you have given us what is of greatest value in your kingdom. We ask that you would help us to come to a deeper understanding of, of its true value. Thank you that you have a deep care for those who are in need, and we ask that you would help us to have this same concern for them. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.